A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And a very good Wednesday morning to you on the 9th of September. I'm looking out at a lovely blue sky. I hope you're looking out at a blue sky wherever you are too. We welcome you along to the programme with John Paul. Sadie, taking your calls this morning at 1850-333-103. Anything you want to share with us, we love to hear from you. Are indeed, you can text or WhatsApp. They're already coming into 0862-103-103. And I want to start by commenting on a photograph that's on the back page of the Irish Examiner. If you're buying the paper today, go straight to the back page of the Irish Examiner. It's a photograph that was taken by Dan Lenehan. And the photograph is of a man and a dog walking past a building. And the building is the Middle Parish Community Centre on Grattan Street in Cork. And the entire building has been taken over with this mural that has been painted by an artist by the name of Peter Martin. He created a mural depicting the burning of Cork and he it's taken from a 1920 Cork Examiner photograph of the destruction of the burning of Cork and he's used this building on the Middle Parish Community Centre there on Grattan Street. He's used the building as his canvas and he's painted what was, I imagine, probably a front page photograph that would have appeared in the Irish Examiner following the burning of Cork in 1920 and it is the photograph can I say by Dan Lenhan well done on the photograph Dan it's a stunning photograph but the actual work by Peter Martin this art this artist is incredible I would suggest if you're anywhere near Grattan Street in Cork pop along to take a look at it I'm assuming lots of people will be taking photographs uh, of it it really is uh, he is uh, an exceptional artist he's just depicted it uh, so well just one when I saw that this morning, I said, pay, pay reference. It's on the back page of today's Irish Examiner. All of the papers today, guess what they're talking about? The opening of pubs. And there, along with the opening of pubs, is the increasing concern within the government about the situation that we now, that the people of Dublin now find themselves uh, in. 182 new cases were announced yesterday alone. That's not a nationwide figure. 
That's just the figure for our capital uh, city. The Cabinet discussed the rising cases in Dublin and also, let's not forget our near neighbours, Limerick uh, as well. And they discussed it yesterday when they had that Cabinet meeting where they agreed to allow all pubs to reopen on the 21st of September. After the meeting, a senior, some senior government figures warned that it was highly unlikely that wet pubs in Dublin would reopen in two weeks' time if the rate of new cases continued to rise at the current uh, at, at the, the current way it's rising. If it continues, the numbers continue to spike in Dublin, then I don't think they have a hope in hell of the pubs opening in Dublin on the 21st of September. The Thornishta, Leo Varadkar, also told the Parliamentary Party he was, in inverted commas, very worried about the number of new cases in Dublin. And two Cabinet Ministers said they wouldn't be surprised if some form of restrictions were introduced and introduced soon in the city. And a number of papers are picking up on that, on what would these uh, new restrictions uh, look like. And the problem, according to one cabinet minister, is that you can't impose the same restrictions that you imposed on Kildare, Leash and Offaly. They say you can't do the same thing on a city like Dublin. And the debate is around how do you close down Dublin if they decide they have to go around that route? How are they going to do it? Because I know yesterday, before we even heard about this rise in Dublin figures yesterday, this new figure of 182 new cases in one 24-hour period, we had a host of people shouting to lock Dublin down and that it was the only way for the rest of the country to move forward. The rest of the country shouldn't be disadvantaged just because we're seeing a rise in numbers in uh, Dublin. Now the Irish Times, they're leading with a story saying that residents of Dublin and Limerick could face a ban on visiting other people's homes in order to try to stop the spread of COVID-19. It seems the government, according to the Times, is considering introducing restrictions on people's movements similar to what was introduced in Glasgow, where household meetups were seen as the driver of an increase of infections in Glasgow. So Nicola Sturgeon, her government decided uh, and responded by having this, they saw they were having a rapid increase in cases in Scotland uh, and they realised that it was being passed within homes. So what they did was they restricted visits to other people's homes. And remember, Glasgow is Scotland's second city. It is a big, big city and they managed to do that in Glasgow and they managed to reduce the number of new cases there. So that's obviously a possibility that's been looked at uh, here. And already we've had a listener commenting on this whole idea of Dublin. And, and, you know, we welcome your thoughts again today on this, on Dublin having a lockdown. Would it be possible or would you be with some of the government ministers saying it would be impossible? You couldn't do the same thing that you did in Leash and Offaly and uh, Kildare. Uh, Somebody's saying, uh, Patricia, if Dublin is put into lockdown, what would happen to all of the West Cork, North Cork, Cork City, East Cork people do? They wouldn't be able to come home. These are people from Cork City and County who live and work in Dublin. They would have to stay in Dublin while the restrictions were in place. And also, nobody would be allowed to travel to Dublin to see them. There are many, many people from every part of Cork City and County working and living in Dublin. Add to that the many, many students in colleges and universities from Cork who study in Dublin. They would all be deprived of seeing and visiting their loved ones in Cork if Dublin is put into lockdown. 
travel would be banned completely. So I really do hope that the virus eases off for everyone's sake. Please, God, says this uh, texture. And yes, you are correct. If they went down the route that they did for Kildare, Leash and Offaly, of a full lockdown for the city of Dublin it would mean that once you're in Dublin you have to stay in Dublin and yes people wouldn't be able to visit and it would be hugely inconvenient for people and people would find it very hard you know particularly those that maybe come home regularly but remember what they've done with the other regional lockdowns they don't last forever you know they were in place the Leash and Offaly were in place for two weeks, wasn't it? And then Kildare got extended, I think, by a week. Maybe their lockdown lasted for three weeks. So if they did decide to go down the route of locking down uh, Dublin, it would be for a period of time just to try to stop the try to limit the number of new uh, cases. So, you know, and I can see you obviously have loved ones living in Dublin. So you're obviously very concerned about the notion, the idea of Dublin going into lockdown. And if you look at the Dublin figures themselves, the majority of the cases are in the Dublin West and Dublin Southwest constituencies. Now, I don't know, would it be possible to put the restrictions in place just in some areas of Dublin City or would that would that just be total confusion completely if they're going to do a lockdown or they're going to have to lock down the entire city. But I I think reading various articles in the papers today, I think what they're looking to the Glasgow model in that they will ask Dublin people to just stay out of people's homes because it does look like a lot of the outbreaks are from people visiting other people's homes and the spread of the infection uh, because we know that when they contact trace people and when they go forward, they're able to then directly say from that one case of COVID-19, that person spread it to when they visited that house, two people got it, then they were in another house and three people got it. So they know that the virus is spreading from people visiting uh, houses and that's House parties, absolutely house parties will be in the middle of that as well. But it's just normal people calling around to maybe see other family members, calling in for a friend, have a cup of coffee, going to somebody's house for lunch, etc. So if they go down the Glasgow model, that's what they'll do. They'll just stop people visiting other people's uh, homes. And obviously, as I say, there's a lot of commentary in the paper today and we're going to be talking about it in a couple of minutes. The the announcement yesterday that happened to well, actually where we were on air yesterday, that pubs are to a real open and publicans obviously all over the country have welcomed the news that they now can finally open their doors after being closed for six months. They will be allowed to open their doors on the 21st of uh, September. But with the surge in COVID-19 cases, some publicans are saying nothing is uh, certain. Uh, The this is the fourth date that has been set for pubs to reopen and when they do manage to reopen they will have been closed for 189 days and that's an extraordinary extraordinary long period for our pubs to be closed and I know the Dublin publicans are particularly worried and I saw a quote from the Chief Executive of the Licence Fitness Federation Association they represent the Dublin uh, pubs, a gentleman by the name of uh, Donal O'Keefe. I mean, he is particularly uh, worried and worried that if the numbers continue to rise, that maybe, maybe the Dublin pubs won't reopen. The rural publicans, uh, reading a lot of commentary from them in the papers today, they simply just want the chance 
to open up their front doors and prove that they can do it and that they can do it safely and that they can do it the same way that gastro pubs and restaurants and pubs that serve food, they've been allowed to open, look what they've done. They're saying, give us the chance uh, we can do it uh, too. And obviously the news that the pubs are allowed to reopen has been really, really welcomed by rural communities. And we would have a number of our listeners to this programme who live in very rural, isolated uh, areas who just cannot wait for the pubs to reopen. But then looking at how did they come to this decision yesterday, let me take you back. It was July the 15th when the government first made the announcement that they were postponing the reopening of the pubs. Remember the pubs were initially meant uh, to reopen. It was the 8th of August. There was a 20th of June. There was a couple of dates. But anyway, it was on the 15th of July. There was a lot of publicans very disappointed when they were said, no, there's going to be a postponement of the reopening of pubs. On that day, on the 15th, 15th of July, there was 21 new cases of COVID-19 reported and on that day sadly one person had uh, lost their uh, uh, had lost their lives. Then the government again delayed the reopening of the pubs that didn't serve food on the 4th of August There was this was another postponement and on that particular day when that announcement was made, Neffert had announced 50 new cases of uh, COVID-19 and thankfully on that day there was uh, no deaths and and then yesterday, we get this new date for the reopening of the pubs of September the 21st on a day when Neffert are announcing 307 new cases, of which, as I've said, 182 alone had been recorded in Dublin. So what's changed? I think that's what a lot of people are kind of scratching their heads, saying couldn't believe that the announcement was made yesterday. And then a couple of hours later, we hear that the number of new cases was 307. Well, it seems, according to senior government sources, they say that the the recommendation has come from Neffet and it was made on the basis that pubs are an important part of the fabric of Irish uh, society. And there is also evidence that new outbreaks are not coming from pubs that have been serving food or from restaurants, but instead they're coming from the much less formal settings such as people's homes. That's where outbreaks are occurring and that's where the COVID-19 is spreading. It's in family homes. There has not been any evidence that there has been a spike in outbreaks of cases once the gastropubs and the restaurants opened. So I suppose they're looking at that saying, well, look, pubs and restaurants, the gastropubs and restaurants were able to to do it. And as publicans are saying, please give us a shot. Let us let us show you that we can do it uh, as well. Uh, your thoughts and comments welcomed 1850 John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Particularly wanting to know are you happy that the pubs are going to reopen? Dublin goes into lockdown, says the texter. Will all the TDs and the other people that work in government, will they obey the rules? Look what happened in uh, Galway with uh, Golf at Gate. Well, I suppose, will they be restricted that if they're in Dublin, the doll is back sitting? Will they all have to stay in Dublin if there is a lockdown? I'm assuming uh, that they will. Thank you for your text. Eddie said, I was, Eddie was watching Breakfast TV this morning and they were discussing fetal alcohol syndrome, which of course is a condition in babies that results from alcohol exposure during the mother's pregnancy. Uh, surely, says Eddie, with everybody speaking about pubs, this needs 
needs to be considered. We concentrate too much on drink these uh, days. Well, it was interesting to see that Neffet, who are our health experts, their recommendation to government yesterday when they made the decision to open the pub was on the basis that pubs are, and I quote from Neffet, an important part of the fabric of uh, Irish society. So it was one of the reasons why they decided to give the nod to the government to allow the pubs uh, to go ahead. And Pat in from Oise says most of the high cases at the moment are happening in the community. It's, Pat reckons, from young people going to each other's houses. I believe when the pubs are allowed to open, the off licences should be closed because once their time is up in the pub, they will go back to each other's houses to continue drinking. And when they go back to each other's houses. It isn't Barry's tea they're drinking. <laughs> You're certainly right on that, uh, Pat. And uh, to stop, it's it's one of the reasons I've heard as well. Some publicans are saying because they will have to close, everyone have to be out at half past uh, 11. And I have heard that argument being put forward from some publicans that they maybe should be allowed to open longer to stop people going back to people's homes. Because I think, Pat, you're right, it'll all depend, I suppose, on what time the people go out and if they feel they've had enough drink. But half 11 might seem a little bit too early for some young people when they're heading out. So, yeah, they may absolutely want to continue drinking. And if they continue drinking, they're going to be doing it in each other's houses. And that's the exact reason that we have been given for why we're seeing a spread in COVID-19 cases at uh, the moment. Uh, Michael says, Patricia, it's the pub with no beer. You should be playing. <laughs> yeah, I don't actually have that song. Uh, but yeah, that would have been, that would have been, a co- well, it'll be a pub with beer in less than two weeks' time. 1850-333-103. John Paul and Sadie taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862 103 103. Now pubs, when they are finally allowed to open Open on the 21st of September will have been closed for 189 days. That's more than six months in total. Vintners Group say the announcement yesterday is about time. Michael O'Donovan of the Cork Branch of the Vintners Federation of Ireland once again rejoins me on the programme. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. Now, you've had a number of false starts. This, this I think, will be the fourth reopening date for the non-food uh, pubs. Do you believe it's now set in stone and you will open your front door Monday week? Well, we very much hope so, Patricia. Um, look, I personally spoke to Minister McGrath uh, last night, yesterday evening, after the announcement, and he look, it's it's a new term that's been used. This is a fixed date, is what they're saying. Um, but then they're also saying with the caveat, subject to change. So, um, look, we're falling between two stools. We're hoping that it is a fixed date, but we understand the public health requirements. Um, I think here in Cork, we're in a very good position. Um, look, we, we know Limerick and Dublin are maybe in a precarious situation, but um, here in Cork, our numbers of uh, new cases of COVID-19 are very low. So I think, um, please God, I think Monday week we will be opening here in Cork the, the pubs that are currently closed. How different will the pub experience be when you open? Look, um, I suppose, I suppose number one, the general public have seen you know the restrictions on life as 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 it's uh, come as we've opened up the economy so we'll be no different when the pubs open monday week um, we have guidelines <clears throat> that are going to be issued through the hse and fault ireland hopefully uh, in the coming days before the end of the week or possibly the weekend at the latest hopefully we'll get these guidelines finalized um, there will be 
look, restrictions on capacity in bars because there'll be no, no longer people able to stand in the bar. Uh, it's all table service seated. So, look, for some people this will be strange, but look, we'll, we'll ask the public to please work with uh, the publicans on this because if we don't follow the guidelines, the Gardaí will have the powers, as we know, to, to, to come into premises and close them for a day initially. And if there's breaches, look, it can go up to 30 days. But we hope it won't get to that. We'll, we'll be hoping that the public will understand we have to follow the guidelines. If we don't follow the guidelines, um, our businesses could be closed. So we need to follow them. We need to stay on top of them. And we, we, we just need the public to work with us, please, on this. OK, so there'll be no sitting on the high stool up at the bar counter. No, unfortunately, look, I suppose it's one thing. Um, look, the, the consultation on this draft document actually started yesterday evening. Okay. Um, it's one of the things uh, our CEO was in yesterday evening. We had a, a meeting prior and it's one of the things that we've asked um, maybe the HSE to have a look at it because, look, we've said if we put up the screens um, and we are able to, I suppose, section off the bar counter area, could people use it as they look in, in the current guidelines for pubs that are operating as restaurants that isn't in their guidelines um, and this will obviously supersede it so like you can have a table up against the bar counter with four or six people sitting at that table under the new guidelines uh, we're not sure if that would be allowed so we're, we're asking for clarity on it and we're, we're asking is there a possibility that we can use the bar counter but look whatever the guidelines come out we will have to follow and um, look, we've been saying to give us the guidelines and we will follow them. It will be very unfortunate if we can't use the bar counter. But look, it, it's the HSC will set this out. Um, and we, you just have to abide by, we, by we the rules. We will have to abide by the it, rules. It is looking like it will be table service, though. I mean, you're accepting that. Yes, look, the, it, it's, look it, it's quite clear it's going to be table service. Okay. That's not going to change. Um, people will be able to sit at tables in groups up to six, but not more than... And, but no more than three households at that table of six. So um, they're not going to change. That's been in place since, um, since I think, when they updated the, the guidelines in July. So that's going to be there when, when these guidelines are published later in the week. So you, you'll come in, you'll sit down at your table, and, I mean, you know, no more than three households. What you're thinking there is probably three couples heading out for a night out. Will there be a time limit on how long they can stay in your pub, Michael? Y- under the draft guidelines, it's the exact same as what's there, as I said, for pubs uh, acting as restaurants at the moment. If if they're operating at the one metre um, social distancing, then yes, the one hour, 45 minute rule is there. That was the second thing that we asked them uh, last night to possibly have a look at, because look, we're well aware if people um, are, I suppose, leave a bar after one hour, 45 minutes, maybe in, in towns and look in the city, and large urban areas, it, it it could force them, and it will force them to go on pub crawls. And we we, we think um, it's probably better if you hold them in one place, um, because look, if somebody is infected, the the fact that they're going on a pub crawl, it only opens up the potential for more. Where at least if they're in one pub, you're limiting it. If if God forbid somebody is uh, testing positive for COVID nineteen, um, so like we've asked them to look at that. Um, I'm not sure if they will, but look, there's, they have put the proviso in that if a bar can operate at two metres social distancing, then that, that, that time limit is not required. But the only problem is most, if not all, of the bars that are still closed are the smaller family bars. It's impossible. Operating at two metres really se- severely reduces your, yeah. um, 
your capacity. So like, um, it's, it'll be really hard for bars to do the two, min- two meter social distancing because the numbers that they'll get into the bar will be gravely reduced. So um, it might look, a lot of the bars might be forced into doing the one meter in which case uh, they will have to Im- implement the one hour 45 minutes. And have you in your head worked out how you're going to do that? You're going to, obviously the contact tracing, you're going to have to take the name of the lead party as the restaurants yes. are, are doing. And then what, have you, will you have a timer on each table? How, how are you going to do the well, one hour 45 look, minutes? I suppose the practicality of it is when the person comes in, you take their name, their number, and I suppose you write down the time that they enter and then you just have to keep an eye on it. Um, you put down a time that they're supposed to leave and you inform them as they come in that, look, one hour, 45 minutes from now is your time. And again, this is where we'll be asking the public to to work with us because, look, it, 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 I know speaking to publicans at the moment, it's not easy when people are enjoying themselves. It goes against everything that's instilled in us. We're, we're in the business of entertaining people, of minding people, and then we have to ask them to leave the premises so, like, it's um, it, it's it's difficult and will be difficult. But um, if the people, if the co- if the public cooperate with us, um, I think it will work. Okay, you're not, you're not asking people to bring little alarm clocks with them. I know everyone's talking about that man. Did you see that yes, photograph? I yes. did. Now I have to say, when when we further looked into that photograph, that man always carries that little alarm clock with him. He doesn't have a watch. He brings that clock in his pocket with him wherever he goes, and he wants to be home in time for the six o'clock news. For the news. But but when I saw the photograph, I was thinking, oh, maybe we could have little alarm clocks on everybody's table. It just seems bizarre for the publican to have to go and say, you, you know, shout to your lad, you've 10 minutes left, lads, finish up there. We need, we need to move you on. And I can see a number of people are worried. And exactly the point that you've made, is this not going to lead to pub crawls? And somebody else is pointing out, wasn't it in South Korea, that the super spreader who brought the second wave to South Korea was because of a pub crawl. It was a guy who was going from pub to pub to pub. So that is a real concern for people. It is. And look, we we looked uh, last night at the meeting. Our CEO flagged this. So it's something. But look, uh, Patricia, we've been saying it since the very start, back in June when the pubs opened, about the, this time limit. And we have seen it in, I suppose, particularly in Cork City and the large towns around the county. Um, people have been creative. They booked their time slot in one bar that they finish their one hour 45 minutes, they move to the next bar and they get another uh, dish to, 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 to go to the bar and have drinks. Um, people have been doing using it to get two, two and three time slots. Now, I think that's kind of the maximum that they have done from evidence that we've seen is just two or three time slots. But it is, it, it potentially could cause a problem. But look, I suppose the guidelines are here. Uh, we'll be opening Monday week. Please God, if things are working out and if the, if we're getting in control of the virus, um, these guidelines are a live document. So maybe in you know eight weeks' time, ten weeks' time, um, if we can see progress on it, we can go back to the HSE and say this is what's working, this is the way it's going. That this time might be relaxed if it's not relaxed at the start. Um, so I suppose we we have to get open with baby steps first and then progress as we as we as a nation start to open back up our economy fully, I suppose. And as I mentioned earlier in advance of you coming on, Michael, um, there is uh, no new evidence of outbreaks coming from pubs that serve food are from uh, restaurants. The, the outbreaks are now coming from the less formal settings, such as family homes and people gathering 
to have house parties or friends getting together, you know, and all sitting around a sitting room and sharing a couple of bottles of wine. That's where the spread is. Yes, I suppose it is. Look, uh, we get checked, as as you've seen, uh, the Gardaí, I think, at the moment, there are over 40,000 uh, inspections on licensed premises. Look, there there is a procedure in place, and we've seen it in Cork with two instances now, um, where people have been in a bar the night before, have tested positive the following day for COVID-19. There's a procedure in place. The bar shuts down, obviously. Everybody's tested and the bar is fully deep cleaned before it reopens. The contact tracing has kicked in. Everybody's been contacted uh, by the HSE. So there's procedures in place for if people come to bars and if something happens. Hopefully it won't and hopefully we won't need it. But people should feel safe that mm. the, the bar is a very... Uh, I suppose, controlled environment and a, a very safe environment at the moment. Um, the house parties, yes, look, we all know they're going on. And look, it, I suppose the problem is um, when groups of more than six gather, because there's more than the three households potentially going to a house party, um, that's where the issues, as you've said, have, have been coming. But yes, the bars that we, we know of, there, there's been very few uh, links um, across the country of uh, people coming out of them um, and getting COVID-19. Okay, and Michael, in the case of your own pub reopening, will your capacity be severely impacted? Oh, yes, if, uh, if, like any other. Um, look, we're, we're working out at the moment, uh, obviously to the one metre, and like we'll probably get maybe um, 28 to 30 people in. If we go for the two metres, we'd be down under 20. So that just gives you a stark variation of it. Um, like for the next couple of months, pubs are going to be running at a very reduced capacity. Um and look, not until we open, we won't know if it's viable because obviously we'll depend on the customers coming in and supporting us. Um, our trading hours are reduced, so we have to be, uh, look, it's 11 o'clock out for half 11 at the moment, and that's going to be with us, I think, for a while. Um, so, like, your trading hours, look, in, in, we're, we're in the middle of the city. It's a country pub in the middle of the city, so we're usually, uh, we only get going at 8, 9 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, it's going to be uh, reduced in what we can do. So we're depending on probably customers coming in earlier, uh, spreading it out over the day, because, obviously, if you only can fit in 28 people, um, there's going to be disappointed people come to the door when it's full and you just can't leave them in, and that'll be the, the tough part of it, I think, when we do get up and running. Are you worried that you could you may have lost some business to some gastropubs locally? Um Look, I suppose there's always that risk, but look, Patricia, as any public will say, you know, some of these are our friends and you'd hope that they'll come back and support you um, when you do open. And look, I suppose people will always move around um, in in, uh, in areas. So look, um, they've gone to somewhere new, but look, when we get back up and open, hopefully they'll want to come back. And yeah, you're, 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 listen, you're, they're local. They'll come back in droves. Yeah, I promise you that they will. But you've lost, uh, you and all of the other publicans, you've lost six months of uh, trading. Uh, I mean, this is going to be a very difficult year. I mean, will it, will, it be, will it be almost impossible to even break even this year, do you think? Well, look, I, I think talking to pubs, even the gastro pubs that are open at present, Patricia, uh, break even, it's actually... The word that's been used is wash your face. If I've heard, if I had a euro for every time I've heard that word uh, yeah. from publicans over the last, you know, three months that are open, I think I've been really wealthy at this stage. Um, the best case scenario is that you break even. Um, there's, 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 there's really no publicans out there because the capacity is so reduced and the trading hours are reduced. 
Um, breaking even is the is, is probably the name of the game at the moment and survival till next year um, and and then hopefully uh, in 2021 if life gets back to normal that we'll be able to get back into the trade properly. Yeah, I, I read an article of a rural uh, publican who, you know, who said he had sort of money away for his kids' college funds all yeah. gone. They've been, he's been dipping into all of that just to keep going. You know, it's some really heartbreaking stories and I know you have, I've discussed it with you before, there are uh, a cohort of pubs that won't reopen and will never reopen again. Yes, that look, it's an unfortunate scenario. I think, um, and I think, look, the, the people that were forgotten uh, by the government, I suppose, in this pandemic have been the over 66s because um, I, I've spoken to previously about it and I've spoken to ministers numerous times about it over the last couple of months. They received no, you know, pandemic payment. They had to survive on their uh, pension that they've paid into all their life. And I think it's been really difficult for them because their commercial premises, they still had to pay their commercial insurance, their utility bills. Most of our commercial insurances uh, demand that you have uh, continuous monitored alarm systems, another bill that's been going every month. So when you try and have your own household and pay for your commercial premises, most people have been digging into their life savings, which a lot of people have put away uh, for rainy days. But like this has been more than a rainy day because it's mm. gone on for six months. And I think a lot of people, having spoken to them, especially when the supports came out in um, uh two and a half weeks ago um, they got very disillusioned by it and I have spoken to publicans both uh, here in Cork and elsewhere that have, have decided that uh, they're not going to open this year that they're going to wait and see how things uh, progress and then make a decision in the new year as to whether to open and hopefully, hopefully come back next year so between now and September 21st uh, Michael have you a lot to do or are you are you all ready to rock and roll? Uh, look We've obviously we've to uh, get stock in now, um, and look, we we had all the preparation for the bar done three times previously. <laughs> so um, it's just a case of next week now go in do a deep clean again, um, and just put finishing touches, really signage, things like that. But um, but more more or less ready to go once the stock comes in next okay. week. Okay, we'll we'll talk again in the meantime, Michael. Thank you. Uh, we always appreciate you taking time out to talk to us. No problem. Good thank morning to you. Bye bye, uh, Michael O'Donovan, there, who's chair of the Cork branch of the Vintners Federation of um, Ireland. Uh, Jim says, "Won't people still be able to do pub crawls? They can book various pubs, and they'll be in and out. They'll do their hour in one, and they'll move on to another. So you 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 would wonder and worry about what is going to happen when the pubs." Uh, open 1850 333 103 jump all and Sadie taking your calls text or whatsapp 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 call Patricia with your comment 1850 333 103 some terrific news this week with the announcement that Coolmore Stud has offered a three year funding deal to help keep Ireland's only charity funded air ambulance in the skies Don O'Regan is project manager with the Irish Community Rap Response Centre. Donna joins me. Good morning to you, Donna. Good morning, Patricia. Donna, such a good news story and God knows we can do with good news stories um, uh, this year. Can you outline how this funding offer came about from Coolmore Stud? So, basically we've been working with um, Coolmore to try to develop how this offer would work work out for the last month or so and it just so happened last week everything came together um, and they agreed to give us a significant funding, which um, 
will help us to tide us over for part of our funding for the next three years. Um, so I just want to firstly thank everyone at Coolmore and Ballydoyle um, for that input into the air ambulance. It's really significant and it, it, it's really, um, we're really grateful for it. But as this is National Air Ambulance Week, we decided to have the event on Monday to, to mark the beginning of it. And Coolmore, really, they wanted, they wanted to get behind us, but they wanted to outline to everyone in the community, um, both corporate and families, that like this is a service that anybody could need. And they want everyone to get on board as well. Because, Absolutely. Yeah. And of course, Coolmore, above anyone, would know the importance of the air ambulance I mean have you have you helped many fallen jockeys since the service went live unfortunately yes so we went we went live on the 30th of July last year um, our air ambulance is in partnership with the National Ambulance Service so our charity funds the helicopter and the all the costs associated with that and the staff on board the medical staff are National Ambulance Service staff um, they go out to farm or equine-related inju- injuries um, once or twice per week. Ninety-five um, percent wow. of our, our call-outs are to rural areas. So yes, we're well familiar to coming out to them, and they understand that time is critical. Like we get called out to the most serious injuries um, incidents, and these are people who, if we can get them an advanced paramedic on time, it can make the difference between them having a good or a bad outcome. I mean, some of these, particularly the ones relating to, to horses, uh, they mm-hmm. can be life-changing in- injuries and, you know, that golden hour that we always uh, yeah. speak about. And if you're in a rural area, the only way of getting help in and out here is uh, in the golden hour is certainly by a uh, helicopter. Remind us, uh, Donna, of the amount of calls you've been tasked with and also the type of calls. Yeah, so in the first 12 months, we responded to 520 taskings from the 999-112 uh, National Ambulance, uh, National Emergency System. Um, those calls that we mainly call out to are road traffic collisions, um, farm or equine incidents, falls from height, um, in stroke and cardiac arrest. So they would be our, our major call outs and they're all really um, time critical. Um and there was a real danger that we could lose this air ambulance because of lack yeah. of funding, wasn't there? So, yeah, we're a charity. Um, the costs of the helicopter are significant. Uh, at the beginning of COVID, obviously, our normal funding streams like our uh, church gate or outside super value flag days and our community collections, they, they fell away. So we were in in, in trouble. But thankfully... Like you know, and there's been a lot of media around it, we had loads of support online through COVID when people were at home. For example, we had the Duhallow Fittest Fundraiser. So the GAA clubs in Duhallow had a competition. They raised um, almost €40,000 wow. for various charities. And they, gave, they we were one of their chosen charities. So Brilliant. we were delighted and we'd like to thank them as well. But that's just one. Like there were many... Um, especially people whose lives have been touched. You know, if people have uh, seen the ambulance come to their family members, they really are responding, getting the community together. And some people have raised up to 15,000 euros just from the family and and their friends, you know. So we were able to, now we're back on track. We have a seven-day service. And um, yeah, but we're, like I said, the cost is significant. We're month on month, we're paying for keeping the show on the road. 
Did I read it's about three and a half thousand euro every time the ambulance is tasked? Is that, is that right? Yeah. 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 It's a lot of money. Helicopters are not cheap to run. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, and the fuel and everything, and it, it all adds up. But, like, the cost is significant, but the impact that we have on lives is huge. So, um, what price on a life? It's, yeah, exactly, it's impossible. Definitely. So you've set up this. It's the Friends of the Air Ambulance, isn't it? Yes. So that's the big ask that we have. That if people could go online to our website, it's www.icrr.ie and to sign up to become a regular giver, to become a friend of the Air Ambulance so that we can, if you can give up a 10 euros a month or whatever you you and your family can afford. I know these are difficult times for everyone. Um, but if, for example, from today, if 100 people from Cork are um, signed up, that would mean a thousand euros a month is coming into us. You know, wow. it, it, it all adds up. Yeah, and uh, that's, what, that's what we're asking for. And that's what cool more we're asking for as well. Just like keep on driving this regular giving like because one-off donations are fantastic and we really appreciate it but if we can forecast okay we have this much coming in we know what we can what we'll have by the end of the year you know and that's and that's that's what you need that's that's what you need and, yeah. we, and you never know none of us ever know uh, when the day will come that ourselves are one yeah. of our much loved family members is going to require the service of an air ambulance and by God wouldn't you be yeah. glad to hear the sound of that ambulance or to see that ambulance landing close by to take you our loved one uh, to hospital. You're doing incredible uh, work uh, in Rathcool. Uh, Donna, listen, we wish you good luck with it and uh, we no doubt we'll speak again but thanks a million for joining us on the programme today. Thanks for having us and uh, we're big fans of the show here. Uh, you're thanks very kind. <laughs> bye bye. Thanks a million. That's uh, Don O'Regan, Project Manager of the Irish Community Rapid Response and that website address again, uh, www.icrr, Irish Community Rapid Response, icrr.ie if you would like to sign up and become a uh, Friends of the Air Ambulance. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Been asked to play our happy birthday request for Johnny Crowley, who is known, who is the well-known GAA man in Mallow, and he is retiring today from Cork County Council. And that birthday request comes in. It's signed from all who know him. So happy birthday to you, Johnny Crowley. Uh, I'm retiring from Cork County Council today. I mean, you have you have many many happy years of uh, retirement. A lot of people thinking of you uh, today. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Just an update from Bus Air, and when we. Were we're talking about buses yesterday on the programme because we were getting calls in from listeners to say that the 50% capacity on the buses and social distancing on buses, school buses, wasn't happening for secondary school children and some parents were nervous of putting their sons and daughters on buses that appeared to be crowded and yet Neffet and the government were saying that they all had to socially distance on a bus and it wasn't happening. So we got on to Bus Aaron and they say this is their short statement from them. Bus Aaron is drawing and allocating resources from across the organisation to deliver 50% capacity for post-primary schools in accordance with the revised public health advice which was issued on the 18th of August. As we've communicated to parents prior to the resumption of school services, one-fifth 
of the bus air and school bus services were at 50% capacity from commencement and this will continue to increase on a rolling basis so it means the vast majority of school buses are not able to do social distancing at the moment but bus air and saying look they're doing their very very best. They also say that any parent or guardian wishing to organise alternative transport arrangements is entitled to a full refund on the school transport scheme fees because of course to parents who have children on the school buses that already paid their bus fees for the, for this year and we certainly have heard on this programme of parents who have a great inconvenience to themselves have decided to drive their sons and daughters to and from school rather than put them on a bus that they felt was too crowded. If you're in that cohort of people then you are, are entitled to a refund on your fees but Bus Aaron saying look they're doing their best they are trying to get as many additional buses as they can. 1850 John Paul also tells me that we are continuing to get calls in from people about dance halls and when will dance halls reopen and social dancing and all of that and the amount of people that are really missing their social dancing and it was their main form of uh, entertainment was to go out on Friday, Saturday, Sunday night and to do some social dancing and people travelled many miles if they knew of a dance where there's going to be a good band and there'd be good dancers at it and they really enjoyed uh, their nights uh, out uh, and wondering when is it, when is it, there's no talk at all can I say of dance halls because dance halls will fall in under nightclubs as well because of the capacity issue. No talks of the government of any sort of a date and when they are due to reopen. But John Paul tells me that he has been speaking off air with a number of owners of uh, dance halls and they say that even if today the Department of Health and NEFET and the government came out and said, yeah, all dance halls could reopen. They, Some of the ones contacting us say they wouldn't reopen because they would be fearful of impossible to maintain social distancing and they would just be too afraid to uh, reopen and many reckoned that dance halls are certainly not going to reopen until at least next year and I've heard others say before dance halls are back up and running we're going to have to wait until we have a, a, a vaccine in place only time will tell but just to we are as I say fielding calls and people saying any date for dance halls to reopen no there simply isn't OK I can see questions coming in for Peter keep those coming please 1850 103 and there's a lot coming in by text and WhatsApp. Thank you for those 0862 103 103. Also coming in by text, Margaret says, Good morning, Patricia. Now that the pubs finally have a date for reopening, can we move on, please? Hopefully, politicians and the media will start to talk about people who have intellectual disabilities and their families. They really are the forgotten people, says uh, Margaret. And I don't think we can be accused on this programme of not talking about people, and um, particularly adults with uh, disabilities and the fact that their services haven't reopened because it certainly is something we've focused on as often as we can on the programme because obviously I can... I can wear my mother hat and talk on a very different level about what it is like to have somebody whose day services were removed with my own daughter, Marcia. She is now coming up to, it will be this week, won't it? She's six months since her service closed down. Now, I know services are starting to open very slowly. And I know from Marcia's point of view, Thursday of next week, tomorrow week, she gets one day back in her service following week she'll get two days Thursday and Friday and then the following week she'll have Thursdays and Fridays and then they've we've also been offered one day because she's a one-on-one uh, support worker so we'll get one day where the support worker will work at home with Marcia so we will have three of the five days uh, covered and am I thankful for that? Y- yes, 
did I ever think I would see that I would be thankful for a three day service over a five day service? No, uh, but I'm, I'm very conscious and aware of other families who are lucky to get one day or two days uh, a week. When are we going to get back to a five day service? I think a little bit and I, and I hate putting it in with the dance halls and the nightclubs, but I think until there is a, a vaccine and I've heard so many people talk about that they are the forgotten people and they are and there's been families under the most incredible pressure with children and adults with intellectual uh, difficulties and physical difficulties and trying to cope at home. It has really, it has not been an easy time uh, at all. And it's almost like forgotten people is the word that keeps keeps being uh, used, you know, while the rest of society is opening up. It's almost like they have been left behind. But, you know, hopefully, hopefully things will start to get better as the services start uh, to reopen. And, and you know, a lot of our, our gorgeous children have regressed because of it. And that's quite sad and quite difficult to watch. But hopefully as services reopen, they'll pick back up the skills that they lost again. So, Margaret, we certainly haven't forgotten about them on this programme. But thank you uh, for your text. Tim says, hi, I'm a pioneer and I believe pl- pubs should not have closed that's interesting. Coming from a pioneer, Neffet have the same virus as Eamon Ryan. Uh, according to Tim, they're sleeping on the job. Oh, that's an interesting thought from a pioneer who said they should never have closed in the first place. Sheila says, Patricia, I think pubs will be safe when they do reopen. So there'll be lots of alcohol for hand sanitising as well as downing a drop of whiskey, says uh, Sheila. She didn't put a smiley face on that text but I imagine she means it a bit. Um, she sends it to us with a smile on her own uh, face. John in Butterman says, Hi Patricia, you had somebody on your show talking about the pubs uh, opening. We did. We had Michael O'Donovan of the Cork branch of the Vintners Federation of uh, Ireland and suggested that maybe uh, the government should let them close later than 11.30 when they open. To be honest, I think the government, this is John from Butterman's views, should take a very firm grip on this. They should close all pubs at 10.30 and then enforce a curfew for 11.30, after which anybody caught out after that, they should be locked up. Put them on Spike Island. They won't be long sorting out the problem then, says John. But I think... There is a problem there, John, that I would foresee if we went down that route of saying, right, all pubs, everybody home by half ten. What you're then going to do is what's already going on. You will force people to gather in house parties. And the one thing they're trying to do is to stop people congregating in house parties and drinking too much and then inhibitions go out the door when you when you have too much to drink. So I think by opening the pubs, they're hoping that people will go back to socialising a little bit more normally like they did before rather than congregating in large groups inside in-house parties because we know the evidence is there that those less formal settings such as family homes that's where we're getting more and more outbreaks of COVID-19. Thank you for your text. Jim says, Hi Patricia, by WhatsApp, I saw yesterday the photograph of the old man in the pub in Galway with the small little alarm clock on the table next to him. Also on the table was his lunch that he had had and his uh, pint of Guinness. He brought the alarm clock with him, says Jim, to remind him of the time when he'd have to leave the pub in case he overstayed his welcome and he might get into trouble with the Gardaí if they decided uh, to check up. It looks like we'll all have to be doing that, 
bringing a little alarm clock with with us if we want to go for our drink in our local, which is sad, but a sign of the strange times in which we live, says Jim. I've seen so many people commenting on that photograph and it was actually the bar owner himself asked that uh, elderly gentleman if he could take the photograph and she man said, you're grand, never thinking that the photograph would go viral. Either the bar owner or the gentleman thought that the photograph would go viral. But there is an add-on to that story and he is the gentleman I just don't have a copy of any of the articles in front of me now to have, um, unfortunately I should have his name w- with me but I don't. But when he has, he was tracked down by a number of journalists and he's been uh, interviewed and he's quite taken aback that he's become such a superstar on social media and he's wondering will he be on the TV next. But when they asked him about the alarm clock, because that's what the photograph looked like, it looked like he had set an alarm for the one hour 45 minutes. He doesn't wear a watch, he brings that little alarm clock, little battery operated alarm clock, he brings that alarm clock everywhere with him. It's his, it's the timepiece he keeps in his uh, pocket and the reason that he did it out on the, on the table wasn't to do with the 1 hour 45 minutes he wanted to make sure that he got home for the news at uh, 6 o'clock and that's the reason that he had the clock out in, in front of him but he, he was fearful of breaking any rules I will agree with you on that uh, Jim uh, because he'd asked if the time allowed could he have another pint and the barman said to him of course you can you'll be, you'll be fine but yeah it was it just it painted such a lonely picture though didn't this, this elderly man staring it looked like he was staring out the window of the pub with his half eaten dinner and his half drunken pint of Guinness and he was all on his own he was just he was all on his own I, I thought it was the loneliness I think of the photograph was what got to me uh, thank you for your text uh, Jim uh, John says Patricia opening the pubs will be a disaster Look at all the rules we have uh, now and nobody there to enforce them. The old paddy, says John, will always find a way around the rules to suit themselves. We always did it in the past. Nothing to say. We won't do it again now. The pubs and drink in general have a lot to answer for throughout the years. Look at the families and homes that drink has absolutely destroyed. Uh, the pub opening will be the final nail in the coffin for a lot of people. Watch this space, says uh, John, one of the people. Not happy, absolutely not happy about the opening of the pubs. 1850-333-103. And thanks to John O'Donovan in the city who who was commenting on the Debenhams uh, workers. He contacted us this morning. He wants to publicly say well done to the Debenhams workers and the stance that they are taking. John also says, wasn't it interesting to see the difference in the Garda response to the Debenham workers in Dublin and the Debenham workers in Cork. John thinks the people of Cork need to get behind those uh, workers more now than ever. And what John, of course, is talking about, and, we, and we're hoping actually, I know John Paul's trying to put a call through, we're hoping to catch up with Valerie who spoke to us yesterday. She's one of the Debenham workers who's on the, the lock-in. They're, they're staying there until uh, tomorrow. So we're hoping to have a catch-up to see how their night went uh, last night. But what John is talking about, the difference in the guard, the response, we know there was also a group of... Uh, former Debenhams workers in Dublin, six of them in, in total, who got into the Henry Street store of uh, Debenhams and the Gardaí came along and they removed them from the building and they actually arrested them because I saw 
even though they got in through a broken window so they didn't break anything to get in they noticed that there was a window broken so they were, they were able to uh, get in there but you know I saw one of the workers talking about being arrested by the Gardaí in uh, Dublin and she said she's never even had a parking ticket in her life and she was taken to the local police station and they were lo- you know locked up for a couple of hours and I know they were they were released afterwards which you know did seem very very heavy handed on behalf of the Dublin Gardaí and I know that that was going on yesterday because I asked Valerie, you know, she was aware of what was happening in Dublin and I said, have the Gardaí been in with you, with your, with you guys and, you know, was there a danger that they would also be arrested? And she said, no, the Gardaí had come in and they had a nice conversation with them and they explained that they hadn't broken anything, they weren't doing any damage, they were staying in the canteen, they weren't down on the shop floor, so, you know, there was no danger that any goods were going to go missing or anything was going to get damaged in any way and the Gardaí left them and they they told them that they're coming out at lunchtime uh, tomorrow and the Gardaí were happy to walk away. So there was a very different stance, John is right, very different stance taken by the Cork Gardaí versus the Dublin Gardaí. And as I say, after 12 today, we will catch up with the former Debenhams uh, workers who were on that uh, sit-in on the Patrick Street store in Cork. 1850-333-103. John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Jobs. An experienced painter with own transport is required for work and that's throughout Cork County. While Coolmore Foods, they're looking for general operatives. That's for their factory. They're based in Bandon. Biogold Agri, they're looking for a full-time admin assistant they've got for their office in uh, Killavollum. And a cafe restaurant supervisor is required for Dunmanway. You will find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Cork today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. Now the Society of St Vincent de Paul in Cork are desperately trying to help out a father and son who have fallen on hard times and find themselves living in a disused, dilapidated bus near Blarney. Patrick Walsh is the dad in question and he joins me to share the story of his life at the moment uh, while alongside his son Adrian who he's looking after. Good morning to you Patrick. Good morning, yeah. And listen, we really appreciate you taking time out to uh, talk to us. And I suppose we need to start with uh, Adrian. And can you outline to us what happened to him a number of years ago in Cardiff? He was over in Cardiff and there was a shock at home. He was across this bridge every day. It was about a couple of miles to his house, which was a shock over the flyover. And he was taken out to the 100 or 200 yards home. And he getting off the wall and then he slipped and in the rock he was holding on to fall down on him on the head. So he had to get a plate in his head, he was in the hospital for eight months. So the guardie uh f- flipped him out to my house and said, You want to get off to England fast, he's not he won't he won't you're not gonna to live tonight. So I have to borrow money to pay it back. But he he and, he, uh, he did survive he did survive. He was there eight months. He was six months unconscious. And he had boards going through his neck and his head and to hold his neck because his neck was broke. He broke his neck. He broke his, he broke his back. And he broke his pelvis. But he's walking away now. And, yeah. But when Adrian came out of that coma, uh, Patrick, uh, there was an acquired brain injury. Uh, and so the, a different Adrian came back to you? Yeah. It, 
he'd give it a plate in his head. But he'd be, he had a big dip in his head for 12 months afterwards. It was like a, a, a football being flat and had to be kicked. You know, like any like broken house. That's the way he was now. We were down the, living down the Vincent's. And does he need help in just general living? He does, because uh, he went to the bed and he goes off the river, staring in the river, and he, he, falls, he gets like out. He falls into it. And you're living close by the river? Is it true the dog saved his life one night? The dog saved his life because the dog kept howling back and back because they could hear him roaring. And I woke up and I went over and the dog was roaring at him. And I had to drag him out. Look, he said the water was low. The water was only about two foot that time. But uh, sometimes the water was about six foot here. It runs on any to about seven foot, you know? And how did you both end up living in this disused bus? Uh, I was living in Dunlamore for about eight years and I was young because I had a, an accident. And there was no room for the school. I brought him back to Dunlamore and there was no room for the school because there was only one bedroom for that apartment. So then I didn't like that so we got here was a month to get out. So we tried around and around. We were in this hotel, that hotel. Then we went down to the Vincent's and we were down there for about eight or ten months. And uh, a friend of mine, he said, there's a, there's a, play, there's a place outside there, there's no one using a yard. It belonged to a friend of his, he's out in America. And he said, we can use it away, just keep the place clean. And so that's what I'm doing. And, and you got a bus, an old bus? Yeah, there was a bus from the corner, he said, we can use that if we want. So I had an old caravan. And did we take all the seats out of the bus? And God, uh, scrapped the bus, uh, all the seats out the bus, and we scrapped the caravan and put all the stuff in the caravan into it. But we had no room for wardrobes in the bus. So the clothes are just thrown everywhere. Uh, el- electricity and running water? We have no water, electricity, or toilets or nothing. We uh, just have to do the best that we can. And uh, how long have you been in the bus? How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm done. Four years on the bus, Four years? And he, uh, and he's nearly a year and a half now. How do you, I mean, what happens in the winter when it's very cold or very wet? We have to jump into the smart van to keep the battery going. You know, 20 pounds a week and to the bus heat up, we'll be heating the bus, see. And it takes very long to heat up because there's no windows on us, you know. There's no windows in it? There was no windows on us. All the windows are broken, so we have to replace them with prospects. And there's no insulation in or anything like that. And um, I was told um, Adrian's uh, mother, Geraldine, was helping out, but unfortunately she passed away. Yeah, but we used to have to go up to her for the food, but uh, there was no men allowed in our place to stay. And so um, my son and my daughter-in-law used to bring out the food, though, so it's, we went to them and get the food now because we have no cooker. We, brought, we have a cooker, all right, but we only one ring mocking. You buy the puppies here, you have to wait for, for the chops then to do, and the puppies to be hauled to get the chops to be done. I know. I know. Uh, we've no fridge, we've a fridge outside the door, and it's just, just turned there, just put the food into it. But she says no electricity to plug the fridge into? No, no electricity. And the council, obviously, Patrick, are aware that the conditions that yourself and your son are living in, What what are they saying to you? But the, the last time I went to know they told me, don't come back no more, we'll contact you. And then I went back again and said, we have no files, we lost our files. And and that, that same thing happened in the city hall, they can't find me files. So we were put on the end of the list. And you're looking for what? A, 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 a two-bedroomed apartment or a house? A house, see, we have two dogs as well now, and he won't go nowhere without these dogs. He's going to be climbing when they're going Okay, so we need a garden. You need a garden for the dogs. A garden or someone with a, with a caravan that they don't need no more, that they're not going on holidays no more, or a camper van that they're not using anymore, that they're going to go all that, anything at all like that. Or a yard where we get them all at home and put it in there. And on a, a house, is, is it is it in the city you'd like to live or in the county? Have you a preference where you'd like to be living, Patrick? I'd like to live in the, in the county, but in not the... too far from Carcliffe. Okay. Something okay. on the bus road, because the van will be brought down more times than it's going, you know? I know, I know. I mean, I know you're outside Blarney, so anywhere yeah. in the suburbs of the city would, would be ideal as well. Yeah, and it's costing about 60 daily or on diesel a week to keep the two vans going. So I want to watch television at night with one van and a converter and going into town for food every second day because you know, the milk to be gone off and the food will be gone off. Huh? 
And Vincent de Paul are helping you out as best they can, Patrick. Yeah. And his medication, his medication is very dear. It's, it's 60, to, 60 to 70 pounds every month. I don't know how that is for his medication. Has he not got a medical card? Yeah. And you're paying 60 to 70 euro on top of the medical card? Yeah, and I'm paying... Uh, they knocked off my tablets because they were 40 pounds a month for mine. And... Uh, the doctor gave me a replacement tablet. I have high temperature now. I've been dying as well. Okay, so so your your plea today is firstly to the it's is it's the county council you're dealing with as opposed to the city council, is it? It's two. It's all I'm going to one. It's only what you're. You're working with both councils. Both councils, okay. We'll see if we can get on to the council to see what's happening with your with your case, Patrick. And in the meantime, because, you know, we're into September, we're heading into the winter months, you can't continue living in the bus in the condition it's in. You're putting an appeal to anyone who might have a caravan or a mobile home that they're not using at the moment. A mobile home won't be left here. Oh, so you'd need, you need a place to put the mobile home as well? Sure, I can move because... Uh, I could be torn out. Okay. Yeah. And have you have you other family that can help you out, Patrick? Well, uh, my son and my uh, daughter, huh? They to bring the food out because I've no oven. I've only one gas. I've no oven. I have a stove and it's pork. I can't leave because we just run out the door of the, the bus when I do it. And how is Adrian coping with all of this? He's just he just, he just listens to the radio all day. With the heat, with, with the heat man. Yeah. And you have to watch him every five minutes a day because he, he, he gets fits and he gets like out. No. I really can't go on all I know, we're living with an acquired um, head injury like that is is certainly not easy. Okay, you've got a You've got a, a, a tough hand of cards have been dealt to you in life, uh, Patrick, for sure. Uh, we'll keep in contact with you. And listen, we appreciate you taking time out to talk to us. Look after yourself. No, I'm OK, God bless. God bless. And uh, our thanks to, it was Sir Vincent de Paul in Cork who contacted us about Patrick's uh, case to see if we could have a chat with him to uh, highlight it. God, when we give out about things and, and we think we're hard, hard done by, hard to believe, isn't it, in... 2020 that we have a man and his adult son with an acquired brain injury living for the last four years in a dilapidated bus. It's incredible isn't it? It's just incredible to think that people today are living in those kind of uh, conditions and only for organisations like St Vincent de Paul the situation would even be way wor- would even be way worse because I know they've been helping them out with food and, and stuff as well and, and trying to highlight their case and trying to help them uh, any way that they can. So you know, if you spare Bob, never never forget Vincent de Paul. The work they do is is incredible. Anyway, that's quite a heartbreaking story, and that was uh, Patrick Walsh speaking on behalf of himself and his adult son Adrian from a dilapidated bus. Uh, near Blarney 1850 John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 
Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. I never just spoken with uh, Patrick Walsh when I was asking about how, what was happening with the council and how could he be four years living in a bus without something happening and uh, he was saying that they keep losing his files. Somebody said twice while I was on the housing list the council lost my files too. Doesn't it seem incredible that everything now is computerised and has been for many, many years how anyone's files can get lost if there was a paper trail or a letter goes missing, I can I can actually understand that. But I find it very hard that somebody's complete file can actually go missing. And for this listener, it's happened twice. And Patrick said uh, the same uh, thing. Uh, it really is incredible. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Catherine from Malice says, Patricia, it's a total disgrace what that poor man and his son are going through. They should be housed. Plenty of people coming from different countries have homes here. The councils should wake up and look after their own first. And that's from Catherine in uh, Mallow. Thank you for that, Catherine, to 0862-103-103. Now, every year, suicide accounts for over 800,000 deaths globally. Every life lost represents somebody's partner, child, parent, sibling, friend or colleague. To discuss an event taking place tomorrow to mark World Suicide Prevention Day, I'm joined by the wonderful Margaret O'Callaghan of the Charleville Suicide Awareness Project. Good morning to you, Margaret. Good morning, Patricia. You're very welcome to the programme. I was thinking about last year, around this time, when I would have spoken to you in advance of World Suicide Day and you said something that stuck in my head. You said enough was not being done to tackle what you called the epidemic of suicides. A year later, do you still believe that that statement is as true as it was this time last year? 100%. And even now with the COVID-19, it's going to mental health is the issue and it's not been raised enough with the government. You know, there's nothing nothing in charge. We have one beautiful lady, Mary Lynch. She's our counsellor for suicide awareness and we give the phone number out to people that want it. But that's all. That's all. Otherwise, we have to go to Cork or Limerick and people have no transport. They have to stay. There is nothing in charge. Only for one councillor. And that's probably reflected in many other Cork that's, towns across that, the well, county. The lady in question now, Mary Lynch, only for um, Mary Mary Cockery from Kil- Kilbrin and her family, we wouldn't have this councillor up and running in Charleston because she's fundraises everywhere for it. Yeah. To do Charleston and surrounding areas in Kentucky. And as you've, well. you've mentioned COVID 19, um, uh, Margaret. Isolation, and a lot of people are feeling very isolated because of COVID 19 and because of the restrictions that everyone accepts has to be put in place. But it is leading uh, to this dreadful isolation. And that then is, so that's, sorry, that's yeah. leading to suicide, isn't it? And, and to thoughts of suicide. It is, because there's no one, uh, the elderly people are there on their own. And God help us, they need to get out in a bit of fresh air, even though they can't now. And they're afraid to go out. They're, they're absolutely afraid to go out. I even see with my own mother, she's afraid to go out. And are you many know, of the suicide deaths not even recorded, particularly when you mention elderly people, an elderly person dies, it may never get recorded as a suicide though. But you, you don't, you don't hear that. No, you don't hear that. Yeah. And if suicide, it, it's still under the carpet, in my eyes. And my son died 24 years ago. 
and it's still under the carpet. It's, there's not enough being done for mental health and people that are suffering, uh, cutting themselves and everything. There's not enough done by the HSE and by the government. I mean, Michal Martin, when he was um, going around there for canvassing for his canvas, he's getting to the doll or whatever, he promised, he promised you everything. And at the end of the day, there's nothing being done. And I would, if I saw him face to face, I would say to him, there's nothing being done. And there's nothing done in 1996, there's nothing done in 2020. Pay to houses there, the are there. But if you have to go into pay to house, you need a car. You need transport for people. And we haven't got that. Yeah, we need a PA to house in, a, in every single town. You, you do. And you that's do, realistically, that's, we're, no, we're nowhere near, we're near that. I remember the battle to even get a Pieta house into Cork went on for, for years and it's only one when you look at the size of the, of the city and county. You mentioned your, your gorgeous son, uh, Margaret, 24 years ago and of course you also lost a brother uh, to suicide. I did a brother Paul, my brother Paul. Do you ever get over the pain of, of that loss? I will never get over the pain of my, my son, Frankie. Never. As long as I'm alive, I will never get over him. Never. I, 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 what I do, I, I do for him and everybody else that are suffering the loss of his child or a parent through suicide. I, it's a thing that you, you get, if you have cancer or a car accident or anything, you don't get over it, you come to terms with it, but suicide you'll always ask why. You'll always ask this question, why? you always have the question, or didn't I do enough for him? Yeah. And and, and, I, and and you did, but you can't. There's, there's nothing in your head is going to tell you that there wasn't something you could have done. You'll convince no, yourself there was. No, there's nothing in my head. And no, every no. single person I've ever spoken to who lost a loved one from suicide says the, the 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 very same thing. And it's something that just lives with you for forever. And that's why you've dedicated your life in the hope that no other family will ever have to go what you're going through. I wouldn't. I wouldn't li- like anyone else to go through what I've been through. Even though there is a lot, lot of people, there is there's hundreds of people gone through the same thing I'm gone through, and they're suffering the same way as I'm going. I'm suffering, but the only thing is, I get I get great peace in what I do in charcoal and surrounding areas, which is the tree of hope and the benches. And when if I can do that all around the country, that's my way of. People getting the phone number to pay at a house and the Samaritans. Yeah, now we're, we're, the, we're, 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 we're remind listeners about this because again, I refer to this time last year. I think you were at fifteen trees of hope and benches, and you've almost you've over doubled that. Thirty two. Thirty two. Just yeah. just explain to listeners what it is and, and how that all came about. Well, to the lady from Dublin, Mary um, Norma was her name, and she asked me would I plant a tree in Charlottesville, so I planted one tree in Charlottesville. Now, we have four trees in Charlotte. We've done the last tree last week in the pitch and push, and we put a bench there because of a boy that died, and he used to play pitch and push. And then we went to Mallow for the tree, Buttevant, Elihe, uh, Churchtown, uh, Fedemore, um, Camalloch, Brewery, uh, Ballygren. We went as far as Clare. We had one in Broadway uh, last week. Is coming going this week, so and it's just uh, if people are down, they can sit down on the bench, they can look at the phone or look at the phone number, and if they feel that they need to phone, 
pick up the phone. The number is there. Americans are brilliant because they talk to you over the phone and they calm a person down. They really do calm people down. And it's such a simple... It's such a simple idea to the bench and the tree and the telephone numbers, but it's it's such a simple idea. It's very important. That it saves lives. Important. You have saved lives yes. and, and you will it's continue to save lives. Now, because of social distancing, obviously you organise an event every year to mark World Suicide Day. You're going to be doing it again tomorrow, but it's got to be different. Tell me what's planned for Charleville uh, tomorrow. It's just a uh, walk around the park tomorrow at half past six. Uh, social distancing, two metres apart. Okay. Just to start at the Tree of Hope, go around to the Tree of Hope again and save two prayers. Continue down to the library and we just light candles and the picture of our loved ones and just to remember them for five or ten minutes and that's it. That's it. Do you get because comfort? Because we usually have food and bit of music and people talking but no, this year account to COVID-19 we don't. Do you get comfort out of an event like that, Margaret? I do, yeah. Do I do. And there's lots of people there. They do as well. At that night, we think we think of them all the time, but that night is just for those people that had passed by suicide, from suicide. It's for my son. It's for other people's sons and other people's parents or uncles and brother-in-laws. It's all for those. You That's gave us your, your brother's name was Paul. Your, what was your son's name, Margaret? Frankie. Frankie. Let's uh, let's say let's say their names out loud, Frankie and Paul, and we remember them and remember. Uh, I mean, that figure that I gave out, and that's just the recorded suicide deaths uh, every year, 800,000 deaths uh, globally, like we are just losing too many precious lives uh, every year. You're you're an amazing woman. You have the most incredible strength, uh, Margaret, and uh, long may you continue to do the great work that you do. And uh, thank you for joining us and talking to us on the programme. Can I mention Mary Cochrane? You uh, can. Please, and her family from Kilbrin, because she is absolutely brilliant to us brilliant to us and the people of Charleston and surrounding areas they're fantastic to us they they help us in any way and Mary Lynch her counsellor and yourself and John Paul only if we announced it on the radio he gave us an awful lot of list when you announced us in the radio Thank you, Patricia. Thank you, John Paul. Well, it's a very small thing that we do. So tomorrow, Thursday, half past uh, six in uh, Charleville uh, to remember World Suicide Day. Uh, Mark, look after yourself. And if Michal Martin is uh, listening, he might be able to do some more for mental health around the areas. God bless, Margaret. Thank you, John Paul. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Margaret O'Callaghan, the wonderful Margaret O'Callaghan, founder uh, of the Charleville Suicide Awareness Project. 1850-333-103. John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. If you were watching the late, late last uh, Friday night, they featured that song and featured some of the artists who took part on that song. We have such amazing 
talent in this country. It was really reflected, I think, in that in that song. It's incredible. And I thought it was kind of a nice song. It was just a coincidence that it was the next song uh, logged after my chat with Margaret O'Callaghan from the Charleville uh, Suicide Awareness uh, Group. It was just, it was kind of appropriate. She's a fantastic uh, woman and long may she continue to do, to have the strength to do the incredible work that she does because by doing it, she is, has done and is doing and will save lives um, lives that could be lost through to uh, suicide. So uh, we sent our continued best wishes to Margaret. She's, she's a great woman. And by the way, thank you to our own John Paul who tells me the picture of the man in the pub, or sorry, I think this came in from Sadie. Apologies, Sadie. The picture of the man in the pub with the clock that we spoke about, the one in Galway that went viral yesterday and everybody... Th- to me it was the loneliness of the photograph with his half eaten dinner and his half pint of Guinness and he's sitting staring at the window and his little alarm clock beside him with everybody thinking he had set so that he'd be out of the pub in the one hour and 45 minutes and that he wouldn't get into any trouble with the, with the Gardaí but anyway it was just such a lonely uh, photograph and I didn't have his name because I didn't have the article in front of me it was John Joe Quinn and I always think when you're talking about people like that who feature in photographs like that that it's only right and proper that we give them their full name and title so John Joe Quinn uh, he is from Galway and he was asked his age and he was slow to give his age other than he's over 80 and he wouldn't say no more and he's dead right 1850 333 103 keep your gardening questions coming please or you can text or WhatsApp them to 0862 103 103 This is Cork Today Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103 Cork's greatest hits C103 You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. JP, Sadie and Trish, says this texter. John Joe, this is uh, John Joe from Galway, who was the gentleman in the photograph that we were we were talking about. John Joe uh, Quinn, this WhatsApper says, uh, John Joe brought his little alarm clock with him and set it in the pub, not because... He wanted to know how much time he'd left, but he wanted to be home in time for the news. Obviously, he loves listening to Maraid Tuick uh, reading the news. So we all love listening to our Maraid reading the news. Thank you for that. OK, a number of people commenting on the wonderful Margaret O'Callaghan from the Charleville Suicide Group that we spoke about. And also uh, people commenting on poor old Patrick and the situation he finds himself in living in that dilapidated bus. Just some of your texts in on that. Uh, Breathe in malice. I have to tell you, I was listening to your interview with that lovely lady, uh, Margaret O'Callaghan. And you're so good at your job, particularly when you asked their names. I remembered my own brother who took his life over 20 years ago. Thank you, Nuna. Some breather in uh, Mallow. Yeah, and as Margaret summed up, that type of loss it never, ever leaves you, uh, breather. And I just think, I was, I was chatting to John Paul during the news about that. I always think it's so important. And I try my best to always remember that when I'm interviewing somebody who is talking about somebody who's passed away. And sometimes people, not just with suicide, so any kind of death, but sometimes, you know, people will just refer to talking about their mother or their husband or, or whatever. I always think it is important to try to remember to ask their name and to name them to name them so that we can so that we'll never forget them and uh, particularly when it's a, a loss through suicide we must never ever uh, forget them uh, Bernard uh, says uh, always support suicide awareness I actually lost a lovely friend to it says uh, Bernard I don't think there's any of us anywhere in this country can say that we haven't lost either a family member or somebody that we knew uh, through suicide but just too many deaths too many uh, deaths uh, for sure 
Hi Patricia, uh, John Paul and Sadie just listening to Margaret and Suicide Awareness uh, credit to you for raising it on the programme well done listen that's we do a very small part uh, particularly coming up to something like Tomorrow World Suicide Day and we're only too happy to be in a position that we're, we're able to do that and then on poor Patrick and his uh, son Tim and Yall says Hi Patricia with regards to Patrick and the situation he finds himself in living in a dilapidated bus along with his husband, along with his son Sean 2020 question mark question mark I concur with an earlier caller to say that people are coming into this country and they seem to be getting accommodated with housing and everything else we need to be looking after our own people says Tim and you know Tim the one thing when I was chatting with Patrick and obviously I hadn't spoken to him before I did the interview with him uh, today so while I had details of his case I didn't have all of the details of his case and when I asked him how long was he living in this dilapidated disused bus outside of Blarney with the windows gone and they've got plastic to try and keep the cold out I was expecting him to say for the last four months or I was expecting him to say since lockdown I wasn't expecting him to say that they've been in that bus for the last four years I, I really was taken aback by that and that the council are aware that this man and his adult son with an acquired brain injury are living in those dreadful conditions. And a North Cork listener says, I've all the sympathy in the world for that man and his son living in that bus, but the council will do nothing. I've been trying to contact somebody in the council since Christmas of 2019 about aggressive dogs and the council are doing nothing to help me. They won't even answer uh, the phone, says a North Cork listener. What I would suggest, because you, you're nearly a year trying to get some kind of response if you can I don't know where in North Cork you are but we have some fantastic county councillors in North Cork and indeed across the county and indeed in, in the city we deal with many of them here in the programme I would suggest contacting your local councillor find out who the local councillor is for your area and if you're unsure if you give John Paul or Sadie a buzz they'll let you know exactly which councillor is in your area and get on to them they really do the most amazing uh, work they will you know might they just might be able to point you in the right direction or they may be able to pick up the phone and get the problem sorted for you. Thank you for your text to 0862 103 103. A lot of texts coming in for gardening. Keep those coming for Peter. Now this is one I'll get John Paul to look into. Listener says uh, in from Oi this morning what an eye opener on Patrick Street. Fake grass fake grass is being glued onto the street where roughly eight cars normally park. The council are putting seats and tables out on the street and that's happening now I know in a lot of areas to allow for out, outdoor dining anyway. Even though we're coming into the middle of winter but anyway this listener says we're now officially in recession that got announced this week and getting rid of parking spaces like this I find truly shocking. Traders have parked cars on top of this fake grass in protest and our councillor Noel McCarthy says he knew nothing about it. Look I'll pass that back out to John Paul and we'll see if we can find out more about it. I'm assuming the council are doing it for, is it for businesses in the area that are trying to do outdoor dining? We've seen lovely examples of outdoor dining but if you're stuck for parking spaces and it's taking parking spaces away I can sense this caller's uh, frustration. So let's see if we can find out a little bit more about that as to who's involved with it and why it's actually happening. So leave that with us and thank you for alerting us to it because we were unaware uh, of it. And then another listener says oh my God I'm so sad to read in the Irish Examiner that our government are thinking of bringing in assisted suicide for people who are ill. What next? I'm elderly and I would worry about my future if such a thing came into being. Uh, first was abortion, now uh, this. Uh, yeah, I, I have very... Uh, I, 
I've very mixed views on um, I, well I don't really have mixed views on uh, assisted suicide uh, because I think we've seen too many cases of people who wanted because of the illness that they were suffered, suffering from wanted the decision to be theirs when they wanted their life to end and actually the current campaign that's uh, underway is it's gaining a lot of momentum. You you are right and you will read there's a lot about it and has been a lot about it in the papers in the last few weeks. But I've even seen Vicky Phelan come out, you know, the wonderful Vicky Phelan of the Vital Check scandal. She's even come out and said that she would like to know that if the time comes when she knows that there's, you know her days are literally numbered, uh, she would like to have the choice of if she wanted to do uh, assisted dying uh, or not. Uh, and I don't think we'll ever be in a situation. I, I think people have a tendency to equate as assisted suicide with euthanasia, and they're two completely different things. There is no person who doesn't want assisted suicide that will be forced uh, to do it. I mean, any country where it has operated, there's very, very strict guidelines. And God knows we know in this country when it comes to things like that, like this, it wouldn't just be put in place without every check to make sure that's exactly what it needs to be. So I don't think as an elderly person you have anything to fear from it. What I would say to you is think of people who really, really want this and who feel they know what their death is going to look like because of the condition that they suffer from. And for them, they think the best way out for them and for their families is to allow them assisted suicide. I can't see it's something that's going to come in very quickly, though. Uh, I will say, I mean, it's been spoken about for many, many, many years, but it's certainly, you're right, it is gaining momentum at the moment. But as an elderly person, honest to God, you have nothing at all. If it was introduced in the morning, you would have nothing to fear uh, from it. 1850 And thank you for your text uh, to the programme. Back to uh, pubs, Patricia. In the beginning, they should have either opened all of the pubs or closed them all and not discriminated against the pubs that either don't serve food or can't afford to take on extra staff to allow them to serve food due to the requirements by the government. As many of these are family-run bars, it has been a disgrace. What has happened to the publicans yeah and there is I think it's three and a half thousand publicans have the you know the so-called wet pubs that a lot of people don't like but we know what we're referring to when we say a wet pub there's about three and a half thousand of them and you are right many of that three and a half thousand are family run pubs that have been handed down through the generations even Michael O'Donovan of the Castle Inn who we spoke with this morning who represents the Cork Vintners Federation his is a family run run pub his parents had it and I think there was was there a generation even even before the, before that and there's there's a lot of those pubs where you know the parents are about to retire and there's a son or daughter is stepping up and is, is running the pub and many of them are in very rural areas and when you remove that pub there's nothing else in that little area or that little village so they do I mean as Neffert has said one of the reasons why they advised the government yesterday to allow the pubs to open in under two weeks time uh, they, they came out very clearly and said that they are part of the fabric of Irish they're an important part of the fabric of Irish society and that's coming from our health experts 1850-333-103 Theo Park have been on today drive in bingo is on in Theo Park tomorrow night at half past seven and they are reminding bingo goers that you please you need to wear a mask if you're going to Theo Park for the drive in bingo tomorrow night and it kicks off at half past seven talking of the wearing of masks the listener says I passed two schools at four o'clock yesterday there was hundreds of pupils 
all standing together, can I tell you? Now, no social distancing going on and no masks at all. And I think schools themselves, when they're on campus, are doing so well. I mean, we only spoke with the principal of of Ginsale Community College uh, this week on the programme who was talking about the fact that the pupils are doing so well. They're all abiding by the rules and regulations inside in the school. They're using their hand sanitizers. They're socially distancing. They're wearing their masks. But then young people do what young people will always do when they come outside the school gates. Uh, They hang around in in bunches. And I have to say, I was close by a secondary school yesterday at close of business. And I saw exactly what you are describing in your message. There was very little social distancing going on and there was an odd few did have masks on. But I suppose... The thing with being there, at least they're outside and we know Neffert are even saying that, that if you have to do any kind of socialising, then you're better off doing it outside. Because one of the recommendations that came out this week is that we all need to prepare for winter and buy extra warm winter clothing like have a good if you don't have a good winter coat make sure you have a winter coat because they're saying to people if you do need to meet up with friends or family members, the safest place in which you can do it is to do it outside. 1850-333-103. Keep your gardening questions coming, please. And a final one in this bunch from Breed, who is desperate to get back watching her GAA matches. And she's kind of annoyed because she knows of people that are going to local games, coming up with excuses as to why they should be allowed into the match. Breed said, I'm obeying all of the rules and I'm not going. Before COVID, I went to nearly every match locally. But people are using excuses. And when she was pushed to say, what kind of excuses? People said, oh, I need to get in there. I need to take photographs. She said, it's frustrating to see it. When are we going to be able to go back and see GAA matches, particularly now that they're opening up pubs? I think that's going to be the next stage. Isn't it the 13th, which is next... Next Monday is the 13th, is it? Um, I think it's the 13th is when the government are going to come out with the roadmap for the next nine months and kind of give where they see us going over the next nine months. So I'm assuming there's going to be rough dates in contained in that roadmap plan. But I'm assuming the next thing will be allowing people back again to congregate outside. We're still at the six indoors and the 15 outside and there was the 15 outside to stop the spectators going to the match. Will we go back to the 200 outdoors which means people can go to some of the local matches? Yes, I can see it happening. When? I don't know. I don't have a date for you unfortunately Breed. And then the caveat with all of these plans of course are the the numbers of COVID cases and you know when we saw the 319 was it yesterday I kind of did a double take on the TV when I heard that number yesterday I mean if that continues if we're we're up at the 300s every day it's backwards instead of forwards I can see us going 1850 333 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council Supporting businesses Supporting communities Serving Cork Visit corkcoco.ie And as we mentioned this morning World Suicide Prevention Day is happening tomorrow Thursday and the Charleville Suicide Awareness Group are asking people to light a candle in remembrance of all those who passed away and for their families and friends And Kildowry Community Development they've got their lotto draw tomorrow afternoon at four o'clock. The jackpot this week is €2,400 and the tickets are available at all local outlets. Castle Magna's Autumn Parish Cleanup will be held 
on Saturday the 3rd of October. The Tidy Towns Committee, now they meet every Tuesday evening at half past seven in the hall uh, and new members and helpers are very welcome. Please bring your own gloves. Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. And Meg uh, is picking up on assisted suicide which we had one of our other listeners refer to because it's uh, gaining momentum That's because it's been di- discussed at government level to bring in assisted suicide uh, for people who are terminally ill in this country. Meg says, I don't think it should be called assisted suicide because suicide is a very different thing. Maybe if we changed the name of it assisted dying I, I, I don't know is, is there any f- phrase that would sit with uh, people Megan somebody else said it's people's Christianity that's stopping them being against uh, such a thing 1850-333-103 and on Patrick and his son Patricia it really is a case of looking after our own as many of your listeners are pointing out already on the programme maybe it's time to start sending donations to the societies of Vincent de Paul in Cork so that maybe they could purchase a decent caravan or a second-hand mobile home for Patrick and his son. And I have to say, a lot of people really touched by Patrick's story today. And I think we're all very thankful for our warm and cosy homes that we will return to today or are in today and will be tucked up in our warm beds tonight. Let us think of Patrick and Adrian tonight in a in a, a, a disused bus that the windows have been blown out of. And I think the windows got blown out in the last storm. It's just really as shocking. OK, Nora has been on to us. This is a, d- a medical issue to say she had a sinus uh, issue. God, Nora, I didn't I have the same thing myself. It must be doing the rounds or something. Anyway, Nora said I had a sinus issue that got so bad I ended up in South Dock last week. They gave me tablets. All OK. Until it flared up again yesterday. I rang my own GP who said they'd ring me back. I rang at 11am yesterday morning. I believe, would you believe, got the phone call half six yesterday uh, evening then they wouldn't see me and they asked what did the other doctor i.e. the south doc doctor what did that doctor prescribed and they said okay we'll give you the same tablets and you can collect it from the pharmacy Uh, but again when I said well I've already been on those tablets and it flared up again you know what's to say it won't flare up again they still refused to see me south doc says Nora had no problem seeing me has anybody else had uh, this problem because when I contacted I had to contact South Dock while I was away on holidays as well on, on the Saturday and they never they, no they didn't ask to see me actually I explained my symptoms over the phone I didn't think there would even be an issue of them seeing me and, and I got the prescription sent through to the pharmacy most doctors practice as far as I know are doing the same thing I know a lot of people are getting very frustrated about not being able to get in and see your uh, doctor. So I don't know, has anybody managed to get in and actually see their GP or is it all now been done over the phone? I mean, certainly any interactions I've had with uh, doctors since lockdown has all been done over the phone. Now, there wasn't anything that I particularly needed to st- for or anyone in the household actually needed to see a doctor for except the time when I was queried with COVID which thankfully wasn't COVID that was the only time that I got in to see a GP so I, I, Nora I don't think you're on your own I think it's possibly every GP practice is operating the same way that they're doing what's called triaging you over the phone they decide take your symptoms from you and then send your prescription straight through to the chemist if anybody has has has, has a different opinion on it let us know please 1850 and I'm assuming your GP practice extremely busy if you rang at 11 yesterday morning and didn't get a call back until half past uh, six that seems a very excessive 
excessively long time to be waiting for a call back from a doctor or others finding the same let us know please and then Helena said do you think that there should be more emphasis both on radio and on TV in praising and encouraging school children to report if they're feeling unwell to their parents I wonder if we are all so scared of getting COVID-19 that children may be feeling the very same and worse could be teased by other children if they misreport feeling unwell and miss school for COVID or non-COVID reasons. Thank you, love the show. Are some children afraid to uh, speak up? Well, I know I was reading on the papers this morning that GPs all over the country are reporting a surge in the number of children attending GPs or their parents are ringing the GP practice checking for possible COVID-19. The Irish Medical Organisation said that there is an increase in assessments for children was being seen right across the country. Parents with concerns about COVID should focus on fever, sudden onset of cough, or a child who's generally unwell and there's a loss of taste and smell. And obviously the advice then is parents should refer their cases to their own GP as soon as the symptoms develop. And it's absolutely right, says the IMO, that schools have reopened and the parents are seeking advice on possible COVID cases. So there are a number of parents who are getting panicky, I think, if if a child spikes a temperature or gets any kind of a cough. So all GP practices uh, seem to be inundated with parents contacting them, which might explain, while poor old Nora, with her sinus issues, it might explain why, when she rang yesterday at 11 o'clock, did not get a call back from her GP practice until half past six yesterday evening. 1850 333 103. Peter Dowdle, the uh joining me on this Wednesday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Peter. On this sunny Wednesday Isn't it, isn't it absolutely lovely? Like we had a clear, now it's cloud now, but we had this gorgeous clear blue sky this morning. It was just glorious. I, I, I knew as soon as you came back from holidays that the weather would improve. <laughs> I had two good days in the two weeks. <laughs> but we won't talk about that. OK, <laughs> let's get straight into questions. A, a lovely handwritten letter in from Jack in Waterfall. Love, it's always great to get the old letters in the post uh, saying, uh, question for Peter, please. It's a potato problem. Planted golden wonders and is a desiree? Yeah, Desiree. Yeah. Yeah. Desiree. Golden Wonders ended up getting infected with earworms. The Desiree escaped the problem. Actually, had a very good crop. Both were planted side by side in the same plot. Could the seed be the problem? Should I continue planting potatoes there? Or are some varieties disease-free? Ponders Jack. OK, I would say it's a glass half full, glass half empty scenario. Could the seed be the problem? I would look at the Desiree as the seed being the solution that the Desiree didn't get it. Um, so, no, it's not the seed potatoes. But the second part of it, like his own suggestion, should he not grow potatoes there again, is the answer. Um, crop rotation is, is, you know, hugely important when you're growing growing any edible crop. So, in other words, if you build up a, a population of eelworm and, and many of the, the caterpillars in the soil, um, the best way to control them is by growing your potatoes somewhere else for the next four years. So ideally, you would have a crop rotation focusing on four or five different areas so that you'd, you'd have your potatoes growing in area one, in area A in year one, and then in year two, they go to area B and so on, so that you're growing them in different areas so there isn't a build-up of any pest or disease in one particular area. And really, with eelworms, it's probably the best, best, um, the best solution. Okay, and it was good to know he's a good he's a good crop though. Enjoy those potatoes, Jack. Yeah, There's nothing like your own homegrown spuds. Uh, Mary and Kiss Game. Morning, Patricia. Question for Peter, please. We have cut back our beech trees. Should we seal the open cuts 
And if so, what would Peter recommend? I'm going to say no. There are two schools of thought on this. It's like, um, I'm sure I've used this analogy with you before, Trish. It's like if you get a cut on your own hand, you know, do you put a plaster on it or not? Or do you let the air at it? So, obviously, if it's a nasty cut on your own hand, you do need to, to, to put a dressing on it. But if it's just a minor cut and if it's a clean cut, then more often than not, you can leave it alone. And the same is true with your beech trees. So, if you've given it a clean cut, whether it be at a secateur's or a chainsaw, depending on the size of, of the cut, if it's a clean cut and it's it's you're not leaving any uh, rips or it's close to the bark, nature is amazing. It'll callous over that cut all on its own and it'll, it'll be fine. I would leave it breathe. However, if it's a tidy cut, so if Storm Ellen or one of those storms did the pruning and it's kind of ripped branches apart, well then certainly where bark has been ripped away and things like that, I might see it with the a fungicide. There are several of them on the market. They're all much the same. I actually don't really use them. Arbrex was an old name. I know there's one there, uh, seal and heel and or prune and heel and these ones. Um, basically what you're doing is you're putting on a waxy, a waxy plaster, if you like, for want of a better description that stops infection getting in there. Okay, now listeners sent on Tess sent on photographs uh, earlier by WhatsApp and we were get, able to get them on to Peter uh, with a note saying Hi Peter, my friend moved this plant last week Will it survive? It's well watered and it's been put into rich soil not far from where it was originally pla- planted Thanking you Tess and, and I'm assuming you know what the plant is do you? I am, um, I looked at the picture and I, first before I read the message I said what's wrong with that? Is it what? And then I saw the the, the the message and unfortunately the answer is in the question it, it's an echium it's a perennial echium probably echium piniana which is a stunning stunning uh, flower native to the Canary Islands um, but unfortunately moving it last week absolutely the worst worst time of the year possible that you could move anything ah. um, so there's your answer and will it survive I'm afraid the answer is, is probably not but I'm saying probably kind of through gritted teeth because hopefully it might but the, you're really in the lap of the gods on this one. No, it needs plenty of water. No, it's had plenty of water in the week since it's moved. Um, but you will need to give it plenty of water quite hard uh, to counteract root damage that was done. Unfortunately, the root system takes in water and nutrients out of the soil. They're, they're at the very extremities of the root system. They're microscopic, so obviously we can't see them. Um at the moment, those root hairs are working hard every minute of every day, absorbing moisture from the soil and transporting it up through the plant. When we move something, we're severing some, if not all, of the extremities and thus the root hairs. So the plant now has no ability to take up water, or its limited ability to take up water. And unfortunately, at the moment, it needs all that water that it can get. Um, during the winter is why we do, why we do it during the winter is because the plant has a chance to repair that root damage before it's actively growing again. So a long-winded answer, but I'm afraid it, I think it's probably not going to survive. Okay, all right. This is from Anne. Uh, I have potatoes growing. I grow them every year and I have never set them before that they haven't been fine until this year. One plant has green potatoes growing on the branch and I've never seen that before. Well, when you get green potatoes growing the plant, but I imagine if she's growing them, she probably knows this. If the green potatoes are growing near the plant, it's because they, they were they weren't earthed up enough. The sunlight got to the the, the tuber, or sunlight's getting to potatoes, and that's why it's green. It's the only thing I've ever heard of is them getting green. So if you weren't earthing them up enough, or if, if you didn't bury the first deep enough originally, and the, the potatoes were forming t- close to the soil surface, that that's why they would be green. That's the only the only explanation I would come up with. Okay, and I picked, this is a photograph of um, apples from a listener in uh, Bantry uh, to say they haven't fully grown 
a lot of them and a lot of them have split. Is there something lacking in the soil? The apples that are presently falling have all been eaten by the birds. Should I take all the rest of them down now? And why are the birds eating so much of them this year? Thank you. Well, I can't answer the last part <laughs> as to the bird's appetite. Uh, but obviously the birds will bird and wasp. Be careful when you're picking up windfalls because it could be wasps in them too, you see. So you do have to be careful. Um, would I take the rest of them down? No, it, 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 I suppose that's a balancing act between the birds because the birds will take them on the trees as, as eat them on the trees as much as they'd eat them on of course depending on the bird but um, I'd be slow to take them off before they're ready but as to why they're they're cracking and you know, I know everybody listening to the, the, your radio station will laugh when I say this but cra- splitting rather in, the, in the, the skin of the fruit is caused by erratic watering now that doesn't mean that they're not getting enough water because obviously they've had loads of water over the last two months but it just means it might be erratic and particularly at the time of the fruit forming so earlier in the year around May so if something's growing in a pot uh, you soak the pot and then maybe it doesn't get wet for five or six days. But erratic watering. You need to be more constant. Now, when it's a mature apple tree in the ground, it's, it's unusual. It's not unheard of by any means, but it's unusual to see splitting caused by erratic watering. But I think maybe if you go back to April, May this year, the time of blossom, it was very, very good weather. If you remember that during the early stages of the lockdown, we were all out walking every day. Um, it may just, they may have... And then later in the year, they're getting so much water, it has certainly not been a constant level of moisture. I suspect that's what's caused the splitting. Uh, as regards them not all be fu- being fully formed yet, I'd be inclined to leave them on the tree. It's still early September. You're still another month to go at least. Yeah, and give the, you're giving some food to the birds as well at the same time. So, so think of it that way. Hi, Absolutely. Patricia and uh, Peter. Lifting and dividing fairy fishing rod. Would it will... Will, would it work now and will they flower next year should I cut the foliage right back? Okay, when they say fairy fishing rod I'm, I'm guessing here that they're talking about the plant called Dirama which is angel's fishing rod it's commonly referred to but it could also be referred to as fairy fishing rod. That's that gorgeous delicate flower that hangs really over. Oh, I've, the, it's growing in a friend's garden and it is stunning. It's breathtaking. It yeah, really is lovely. Uh, if that's what we're talking about, and I'm guessing, because common names do vary from area to area, so I'm guessing that's what it is. And if that's what it is, um, you're probably better off waiting a small while before you lift and divide it, ideally during the winter. But in truth, I think if you do it now, you, you're not going to harm it. Um, no real need to cut back the foliage. Do it. Um, is a certain amount of it will die off over the winter after the division anyway, but you will. I would clean it up in the spring before the new growth starts. Um, it, it should transplant relatively easily, or divide relatively easily, but will it flower next year? Possibly, maybe, maybe not. It, 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 there's no definite on that one, it, but it's, it's quite possible that it will, yeah. Okay, it's so great to see lots of people out in the garden trying to get work done. Somebody else wants to know, can I cut back Flame of the Forest shrub now? You can cut back Flame of the Forest now, but you do... Uh, I know most people grow Flame of the Forest for the lovely red new growth, which is what gives it its name, that lovely red growth. But it also does flower. It has beautiful kind of white leaf valley type flowers in the spring as well. So by pruning it back now, you will sacrifice those flowers. You'll still get your new growth, obviously, enough next year and probably some now because the temperatures are still warm. But um, you will sacrifice next year's flowers. So the answer is yes, you can. But if you want to keep the flowers for next year, wait till they're finished flowering in kind of April of next year. Lots and lots and lots of people are asking about roses. And is it okay to prune roses now? It's certainly okay to trim them. Um, So if you've had your first flush of flowering or first flush of buds rotting, depending on on, because of all the bad weather. So if they've done their thing and they're they're looking a bit untidy, a few dead flower stems on them, certainly trim them back. Uh, And I suspect 
as we often discuss at this time of the year, Trish, that you will get more roses now in the autumn and early winter. You will get more blossom. So certainly trim them. Uh, but I would leave off their, their hard annual pruning to later in the year, kind of sometime between November and February. I Actually, I spotted in the garden yesterday, I have a small little rose bush uh, in an area that I don't get to see in the garden that often. And this magnificent red rose appeared yesterday. It's just stunning Gorgeous. to see it. Calling stunning. you. Calling Abs- you. It was calling me. John says, hi, uh, Peter. I recently earthed a sloped bank. I've put down daffodil, crocus, bluebell bulbs and some shrubs for next year. Problem is, grass and weeds are growing already. If I hoe it, the earth rolls off it into a water drain. Could I spray anything on it without damaging the bulbs or the shrubs? Thanking you from John. Uh, it's a question I kind of, I, I don't like to answer really because really the only thing you can do is get out there and hand weed it. I understand the problem that it is going to, to fall into the soil but if the hands and, hands and knees job really and just pull them out individually I know that may not be practical um, the reason I don't like to answer, answer it in weed killers because I don't recommend that we use weed killers in the garden uh, Roundup and glyphosate which is the ingredient in Roundup and 90, it's not just Roundup even though Roundup is the, the poster boy name for the bad one 99% of weed killers on the market contain glyphosate um, and the you can use it, and it won't it won't harm the bulbs. But I just don't. I'm not sure that it's safe to use. So that's a call you have to make yourself. The answer to the question, I suppose, if you use it, will it harm the bulbs? And no. Will it harm the shrubs if you planted shrubs? Yes. If you touch them with the spray, yes, it will. Uh, but it's up to yourself then whether whether you're happy to use any of them or not. Breather wants to know what can I put on a lawn for autumn feed. The best one and bar none to use for autumn feed is the Winter Protect. It's the Lawn Gold Winter Protect, which I'm glad to say is made in Ireland. And the reason I think it's the best of all is because it's part of that Lawn Gold, ra- lawn gold range, which works kind of on a back-to-basics principle to lawn care. In other words, by, by maintaining the optimum pH for good grass growth, you're preventing uh, moss and, and the, you're not giving the opportunity for weeds to colonise it. So uh, you're, also, you're, you're, you're maintaining the correct pH, but you're also giving it a feed which is richer in potassium and phosphorus than nitrogen, which is what you want at this time of the year. So the lawn gold winter protect is what I would use now. When can I prune a shrub called the Christmas box, says Mark? Christmas box is Sarsicocca, an awful mouthful of a name, Sarsicocca, but a really gorgeous plant, a very sweet smelling. Um, not often, not always, as you might expect over Christmas, but very often it doesn't flower until January or February, but regardless, whenever it flowers, when it finishes flowering, if you cut it back now, again, like the pyrus we were talking about earlier, you will lose the flowers for this winter. So don't cut it back yet. Cut it back just after flowering, depending on when it flowers. That could be February, that could be March, but that's the time to do it. I have a problem with caterpillars, says Sean, on my broccoli and on my kale. I don't like using sprays. Well done. And you can't because it's food. Is there anything else you would recommend? Your fingers. Yeah, pick them off. Pinch them off, yeah. There really isn't. I'm sorry. You could... the, the garlic drench, which is where you, you mix garlic, pulp up some cloves of garlic with, with water, Google it for different many different recipes and, and strength with Google to make a garlic wash and it will give you those recipes. Drench your, your broccoli and kale and all the veg or any ornamental and vegetable plants to prevent, it, make, it, it makes the plants unpalatable to caterpillars and to aphids and to different it works very, very well as a preventative. It doesn't always work brilliantly when they're on it. So when they've got the, the pester on it already, it, you know, you're far quicker to go out and do it by hand. I know it might seem like an awful job, but you're far, far quicker to do it by hand. Uh, 
Helen says, I moved a well-established magnolia stellata shrub and a lilac tree a couple of months ago. Now, I know I did it at the wrong time of the year, says Helen. The lilac tree has come along very well, but the magnolia leaves have dropped. So I cut them off and it's bare now. When I break a branch, it still looks alive. Have I done permanent damage? It's purely a case of time will tell on that one, Trish. I would, my, my gut would be saying yes, at moving into that time of the year that you have. However, if the branches are still pliant, and as you say, as she says, when she kind of tries to crack them, they still feel pliant and alive, then there is still life there. So it really is a question of time will tell. Now, nature has taken care of the watering since she moved it, but just you will have to pay attention for watering for the next month or so. And also next spring, pay close attention to the watering and cross your fingers and pray to whatever God you believe in that, that, that it's going to come on. Ask St. Anthony, he might be able to look after that as well. What is the right time to cut a red robin hedge? Well, Sheila wants to know. You could trim it back, certainly, kind of now in the, towards the end of September. Um, I, but I would I be more inclined to give it a, a major cut back end of February, early March, very early March. Veronica is planning for the future. What's the best kind of plants to put into pots? She wants to attract butterflies and bees. God, there is... So many. I'm not going to give a straight answer to you, but, well, I'll give a couple of examples. Like the butterfly bush is brilliant, but that'll get quite large. If you want something lower growing, a fabulous one at the moment is the sedum. The sedums are the ice plant. Sedum Autumn Joy is a stunning one that they flock to. For bees, it tends to be anything with the more, the simpler the flower, the better. So double petals or double flowers tend not to do so well. Uh, like single open dahlias and very, very simple flowers tend to attract the bees. And also try and avoid hybridised or F1 hybrids or anything that's overly hybridised because a lot of them won't be, won't be of any use to the bees. And what, what's attracted to, attractive to a bee, is it also attractive to a butterfly? Would it be the same for both? By and large, yeah, yeah. By and large, I think I think if you're attracting, if you're putting a plant that, as you say, good for one, it mo- most likely would be good for the other. Yeah. Okay. And Michael Skibbereen says, could you ask Peter, would a cordless trimmer cut very long grass? Yeah, I would say so. A trimmer, I presume. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it should do. People think that a lot of the, the battery operated and cordless hand tools. Uh, may not be that strong because they're not powered by petrol or, or, or any of them but I've used a lot of the, the cordless tools now and I find them absolutely excellent just because they're powered by battery doesn't mean that they're weak if you think about it a battery can bring a car from Cork to Dublin so it'll, it'll certainly trim your lawn um, so yeah my experience of them is yes yeah yeah, they, they are good ok listen we leave it there have a lovely week and you. Thanks for we'll uh, Thanks a million. And we will uh, talk to you next uh, Wednesday. That's Peter Dowdle, theirishgardener.com. I mentioned doctors when we had uh, the listener with the sinus problem and, and can't get to see a doctor, just getting a prescription over the phone. I was wondering how are other doctors handling it? Is everybody finding the very same if, when you ring to try to see a doctor? Uh, John in Blackpool says, Patricia, um, I contacted my doctor in Blackpool and I have an appointment for this Friday. I think it's arthritis I have in my wrists but my doctor wants to see me. I was talking to my doctor on the phone on Wednesday and the doctor's agreed to see me and I'm going in on... Friday for an appointment and Marie in Cove says uh, I live in Cove my doctor is excellent he actually he calls to me in the evenings if I ring him he's actually making house calls 
goodness, I didn't know many doctors were making house calls. So some doctors are uh, excellent. It does depend on where you are uh, living. And that's for Nora, who was battling with her sinus problems. And uh, when she went to South Doc, they agreed to see her, which surprised me as well. I thought all of them were doing it the very same way. But again, I suppose it just depends on the doctor that you get and how busy the doctor uh, at the doctor's practice is, particularly when we're hearing that there's a lot of parents contacting their local GP since the children went back to school because children are back in school and the winter sniffles and the coughs and the colds and the flus. And of course, I think everyone, we're all in a sense of slight panic that as soon as anybody starts coughing or sneezing, everybody straight away is thinking COVID. And of course, thankfully, in most cases, it isn't COVID, but people are contacting their doctor uh, for that reason. Okay, that's where I have to wrap it up for today. My thanks to John Paul and to Sadie for taking your calls. Um, Mark Malone is in for Nick Richards for the week so he's with you next and we will be back with you tomorrow morning at uh, 10 o'clock. On to then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Have a very good afternoon and remember, stay safe. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.